Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. Hello and welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast on this very exciting, thrilling July 6th, Wednesday, July 6th. RJ, not only do we have fish tour coming in eight days, but we have fish shows next year on the horizon, international shows. We've got Mexico shows on the horizon. We are going to be sitting with a alcoholic and a non-alcoholic cocktail with little umbrellas in it, podcasting live from the beach, from the sands of Mexico. Are you excited? Is that happening? Is that happening? My, my sources say, I don't know if it's been announced. Am I too early on the announcement? <laughs> I think we can say it's happening. 
Yeah, that's awesome. It's going to be great. I just, it's, it's really the best. It's incredibly, it's incredibly expensive and it's incredibly like hard to get to, but it's, it's really like, it's the best. And our guest today, uh, my wife and I got to hang out with her, um, last, last time earlier this year. So it's cool that, uh, that today we get to talk about that with someone who I've been able to hang out with in Mexico. Absolutely. Yes. We have a, we have a phenomenal guest today. Uh, Jen Moore is going to be joining us here shortly. She was at the other international show in question that we are talking about here today, which is celebrating its 24th anniversary, 7698, an official release from Prague in the Czech Republic, an amazing city in an amazing country, an amazing show that was played on this date. Before we get to all that, though, we do have a bit of business at hand. But before we get to the business, even, RJ, I think that this is the first time you've gone live on the podcast with a hat on backwards. Tell us what is happening. Well, it's a it's it's a long and boring story. I, I just I I was at the beach this morning. If you if anyone watched our our the new show we do called the live show at twelve, I was in a different place wearing the same clothes. So I was packing up at the beach and getting home and. I just got home and I wanted to join for a little while and say hi to Jen and talk about this amazing show. And so I'm just, I'm just, I've just been packing, unpacking, driving, dealing with children, getting happy meals. And now I'm, now I'm back home and I'm going to take my hat off after this. <laughs> I wear a hat so often at home that when I take my hat off, my daughter starts crying, which I feel like I'm going to start, I need to start not wearing a hat. If I twiddle on backwards, she gets really scared. But, um, you can follow us in our next episode, the hat, the live hat episode where we break down all the hats we wear and how we wear them. Um, before then, though, we want to encourage you a couple bullet points. We just recorded a premium episode, which will be out on Friday. How do you listen to premium episodes, RJ? They're so complicated to find. How do you do it? Well, if you go to Apple Podcasts, there's a little button um, on the Osiris Media page that says subscribe. And you do that. And then you start getting ad-free podcasts and premium content immediately. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. So it's pretty easy. It's like getting a New York slice of pizza once a week on your way home from work. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's easy. It's simple. Yes. We also want to tell you that we are going to be hosting live recaps the day after each Fish show this upcoming summer tour. Yes, Fish is about to go on tour again. Starting on the 14th of July. Do you want to be on one of these shows? I know I want to be on one of these shows. I love talking about fish. Reach out to us at HFPod on Twitter. Tell us what shows you're going to. Let us know what you want to recap and we will book you for it. Um, really, really excited about that. Uh, should be awesome. We will be doing recaps the day after. Our good friends over at Wook Plus, they do the shows right after the fish show concluded. So hang out after the show ends, after the webcast ends, watch some Wook plus uh, live from the lot and then tune in the next day. Once you've had some time to con to consider whether or not it was a good show or not, whether or not the tour is good, whether or not you want to quit your favorite band, or if you're still going to be along for the ride and hang out with us at one o'clock Eastern, it's a good time. We also want to tell you just a couple more points of business. There's a lot going on. If you haven't, if you can't tell, um, RJ, do you want to tell us about Dead & Co. coming to Philadelphia on the 10th? 
Yeah, I do. And I'm going to be there and we're excited to be helping out and, and spreading the word about the show. Uh, they're going to be playing at Citizens Bank Park here in Philadelphia and seeing seeing Dead & Company in a stadium. I saw them there last year. Super fun show. Really good. Really good. Um, just really good show I, for me personally, but I think for everyone there. Today, they just announced that they are canceling their SPAC show, but the rest of the shows are on. So maybe that means that, you know, you got to get down to Philly. Um, we're doing a contest, a ticket giveaway contest. If you look at Osiris socials, you'll see um, you have to guess or at least submit an answer for what you think the Philly Fanatics favorite dead song is. Um, so we're giving away some tickets and you can get tickets for the show by going to OsirisPod.com slash Philly. For those of you listening, that's spelled P-H-I-L-L-Y. That's how we do it here in this city that I've lived in for two years. Um, so that's that's really going to be fun. And I'm going to be there on Sunday. So if you're going, say hi and shoot me a message. Um, and then we're going to be having a live show at the Ardmore Music Hall called Osiris Live on July 18th, the night before the two-night run at the man. I just got my man tickets in the mail when I got home. And um, I'm... I'm going to those shows, and the night before, I'm going to be interviewing Daniel Donato, Tom Hamilton, and Chris Forsyth, and they're each going to be playing some music with these amazing, amazing musicians, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be a really fun night. So if you're in Philly or you're going to the man shows, or if you can make it to one of our shows, check out OsirisPod.com slash OsirisLive, or check out the Ardmore Music Hall's website for tickets. We'd love to see you there. Um, we've d- been doing these a lot, these kind of conversation and music combinations, and Every time at the end of the show, like dozens of people come up to me and say, like, that format is so cool. Like, you guys should do this more. So we're doing it more. There's another one, Brian, that you're going to be hosting in Denver on August 31st. I am. The Larimer Lounge in Denver, Colorado. We have Taper's Choice joining us for an Osiris Live event, similar to what you are doing uh, in Philadelphia. We'll do a quick, uh, we'll do an interview with the guys, talk with them about their musical influences talk with them about the larger project uh, around tapers choice this fantastic new band that sprung up in the late part of 2021 and then we'll get a crazy set watching dave harrington lose his mind on stage i cannot wait i've been listening to them constantly over the last couple of months and uh what better way to kick off four nights of fish at dick's than with tapers choice Very stoked about that. Both shows you can buy tickets for right now at OsirisPod.com slash OsirisLive. And there's more to come. We can't say it right now, but there's there's more to come. Well, you know what? I'll say that there's going to be two more shows announced. We actually have an entire weekend of content for Atlantic City that we're going to be able to announce hopefully this week um, or maybe early next week. But if you're if you're going to AC, we're going to have a bunch of cool stuff for you, including some music and like a charity thing. It's anyway, I I I, I shouldn't say anything, but I just can't can't help it. It's going to be a beautiful beautiful weekend in Atlantic City, and we're going to be giving away tickets to that those shows as well. Okay, so are we much. here to talk about this seven six ninety eight show or not? We're here to talk about this show. We're going to bring Jen on right now. Jen Moore, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Brian and RJ. Nice to see you both again. You as well. Um, you I'm really well. good. Today, it, they announced Fish Mexico. The summer tour starts next week. It's It feels like all fish all the time, which is just about as good as it gets for me. A nice, healthy distraction from the quote-unquote real-life stuff like kids and <laughs> carpools and jobs and 
forget all of that. Let's talk about fish for a while. It's really the carpools that get you because you try to play like last night's fish show and your kids are like, actually, my, my son just wants to hear very specifically a 12 minute version of everything's right, which conveniently is the studio version of it, which is great. It's a good version, but I'm like, there's other versions. There's other versions, right? We always get, always you know, I always, versions. I always get to that point where I'm like, wait, I, I, I can't get out of the car. I can't stop the car. We're where we're supposed to be, but we have three or four minutes left of this jam. We have to listen to you guys. Sorry. I you can't to go say, to school yet. You know, first of all, Jen, thanks for joining us. I, and I can't believe you haven't been on here before. You haven't, right? Uh, uh, no, I was on an Undermined. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 but, but not but on Brian, HF Pod. I have not been on HF Pod yet. And we've known um, each other for a long time, so thank you for doing it. I also want to say that welcome. in the midst of all these like mass shootings and all this crazy shit that goes on in the world, sometimes I feel a little bit guilty for like doing these live shows where Brian and I just bullshit about music, but but maybe that's the point. You know, Maybe it's actually okay to, to provide some distraction. Yeah. I think that's totally great. And uh, to dovetail on what you were talking about earlier and Dead and Company, we went to see Dead and Company last weekend, Bethel. Uh, I, you know, I can't imagine a more life affirming experience than being outside in the summertime, dancing to the Grateful Dead with a bunch of other deadheads. And it was it was exactly that. And I think we all need these distractions right now, especially it's it's what makes us keep going. So I wouldn't feel guilty about it. I think it's really um, something that we actually all need yeah, really, really desperately that. right now. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Which is a good pivot back in time to a slightly happier place. The late 1990s, the internet had not yet, it had taken over our lives in some cases. A little bit. But it hadn't like destroyed everything. It was still a good place. There was nothing but information. Uh, Fish during the late 1990s toured Europe multiple times. We just talked recently about Fish's summer 97 tour. Um, And then a year later, they do this short little stint, this short little tour from 630, 1998 in Copenhagen, all the way to, I believe, as I'm pulling it up right now, 710. Yes, 710, 98 in Barcelona. Nine shows. You were at some of or all of these shows, Jen? I, I did eight of the nine. We didn't do the festival. The festival was like a one was going to be a one set and was out of the way. So, uh, But we did three shows in Copenhagen, two shows in Prague, and three shows in Barcelona. You know, I was 24. Uh, I had never been to Europe before. Some friends said, hey, let's go do this. We can all do it together if we figure it out together. So, you know, being 24 and and having traveled somewhat to see fish, but mostly in the Northeast, uh, I, you know, this was a big deal to get on a plane to fly international was a big deal to get on a plane, to fly international, to see fish and travel through all these countries and try to figure out how to do fish tour. Uh, Maybe when you didn't know the language and especially, you know, uh, having not traveled in Europe previous to this, it was, it was a pretty big adventure. Yeah. I mean, remembering the first time I went to Europe uh, in college and like how massive that felt to me and like how big of a change it was to add fish into that element is just like a whole different whole different ball game. I I'm, I'm incredibly jealous of it. 
It was, <laughs> was uh, go ahead. I was going to ask you, did you, did you go because you heard that like the year before was amazing? Like, what was it like you, like people you knew were like, you have to do this? I mean, in some ways, yes. Right. Those tapes, those Europe 97 tapes were some of the, the most heavily traded that I, that I ever had. And it dovetailed into fall 97 and December 97. And then there was the Island run and I did go to the Island run too. So it just seems like the trajectory was uh, you know, it wasn't slowing down at all. And, you know, being, I, I didn't have kids. I didn't have, I had a job, but whatever job is a job, you know, I just took my time off and uh, banked all that time for that couple of weeks. We actually planned very well and flew into Amsterdam because if you're going to start fish tour in Europe, you probably should start in Amsterdam for lots of reasons and we got to Amsterdam and Dave Matthews band was opening for the stones that summer mm. in Europe. They, you know, they were pretty big in the States, but not, not so big internationally yet. And they were playing a one-off show at the Milkweg in Amsterdam where fish had played, I think in e- either in 97 or 96, they definitely had played there previously. So, you know, we got there a few days before the Copenhagen shows. We you know, went to Amsterdam, which is just the quintessential European city with cobblestone streets and tiny cars and canals and multiple languages being spoken all over. And we were able to catch that Dave Matthews show at the Milkbag, which I think holds probably about a thousand, twelve hundred, something like that. Pretty small. I had never seen them before. I've only seen them one other two other times since. So, uh, you know, and that was a really great way uh, to, to kick off Europe, you know, start in Amsterdam, start in Amsterdam. Go ahead. I'm looking at the set list for that show right now. And it's really, really good. You've got a huge encore of the last stop and all on the watchtower, Mm -hmm. both big jams off of it. It's what a great era to see Dave Matthews, especially uh, in Europe at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, it felt like an added bonus and, you know, we had some coffee shops we needed to hit before, you know, we got on the road, we went to the gray area, which I think, you know, fish had been to in 97, or at least there were people who had been there for sure that had been to see fish in Amsterdam for, you know, riding, riding the back of the worm (laughs) there before the February before. Uh, But, you know, so that was a really great way to, to start that whole thing and to get oriented to being in Europe, to catch up with the time it's very far north. It was, um, you know, around the solstice. And so, you know, that was a really interesting experience too. I had never been so far north where it was, it was light out until, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night. And then when you got to Copenhagen, it was, it never really got very dark at all. You know, it was, you know, multiple different life-changing and new experiences all happening at the same time. And I'm grateful to be able to have done it and also grateful to fish for playing in Europe and encouraging me to, you know, sort of get out there and see more of the world. And it's, it's opened up a lot for me uh, to have been able to, to travel to see fish. It's opened up a lot of non-fish travel opportunities for me because I felt like, wow, I can, I can, I can go to Europe and go on fish tour. Mm -hmm. I can, I can go wherever I want pretty much. (laughs) If I can figure that out at the yeah. age of 24. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. We had, um, I, I went to Copenhagen for work twice. Um, and I, like the first thing we did when we had free time was went to Freetown and yes. like found, found the gray hall, even though it's like, you know, it's closed. It's like, mm-hmm. it's but we gone. like had to go 
we had to go see it immediately. I was like, instead of doing other touristy things, I'm like, I gotta go find that place where fish played. <laughs> well, I mean, Freetown is interesting, right? Go for, the, for people that are listening that don't know about it. Freetown is an old military base that has basically become a free form anarchist community crazy. Where, where there's no laws or rules, but everything mostly operates. Okay. And in those days it was a big deal. There was, you know, people were, it was open air cannabis market, um, which was super not part of was super not okay uh, in most other places or in anywhere else in Europe. But then you, you get to Freetown and it is just a free for all and fish played in this giant barn basically uh it was just like a giant barn for three nights and so you'd go hang out in freetown during the day you know there'd be a lot of really cool interesting folks that maybe spoke english or maybe didn't and if they did maybe they didn't even want to speak english with you mm. uh, you know the hippies the, the you know the fish crew fit in pretty pretty well in freetown you know kind of <laughs> We weren't really that shocked by what was yeah, happening yeah. there. We had seen it all on lot somewhere in Camden probably before. I, I spoke last year uh, in, in advance of Undermine Season 2 with Dave Calarco, uh, Mr. Miner, um, who, who talked about these shows like glowingly in the same way that you are, that you walked in and it felt like you were at like a festival just in a different country. Um, the seven, two show, the final night in Copenhagen, there's a full video of it up on YouTube. And one of the things that struck me, there's a window behind the stage and it never gets dark. It's like that just beautiful shade of like pale blue that is like nighttime in Europe in the summer. It's, it's unbelievable. And it just like sets a complete vibe for those shows. Yeah. And it it makes it really surreal, you know, when the show's over and you walk out and you know, it's late, you know, it's 11 or 1130 at night and it's not dark. It's, it's not light. It's that nice twilight uh, hour. And, you know, and then you wander around the city for a while being your, being your little 24 year old book self, you know, hanging out (laughs) in Europe. (laughs) You know, I don't think I brought any Patrick. Maybe I did. I can't remember. Um, but you know, that was that era. So, uh, we had a group of, I think there were 10 of us in our group. And so we actually opted out of uh, taking trains because we had enough people to fill a van, uh, which was a pretty unique experience. We took a train from Amsterdam to Copenhagen, I think, and then rented the van in Copenhagen because not everybody went to Amsterdam. And, you know, one of those big, um, like sprinter vans, you know, sort of that kind of thing. And you know, what was really one of the most memorable parts of that experience was, you know, you get to drive across Europe. So you leave Denmark, there's a ferry, you get back to the mainland and you have to drive through Germany to get down to the border. And, you know, it's, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, uh, have the same the same experience but you get to the, we got to the pro we got to the czech republic germany czech republic border late in the middle of the night or it was dark and you know there we are all are kind of sitting with our things that we probably should definitely not be traveling through international borders with you know and then there's like big guys with like machine guns at the Czech border, you know, and it's not like the modern border when you cross into Canada here from the United States where there's, you know, a whole building. It's like literally some guys with gate and guns somewhere, you know, in Bavaria. <laughs> you know, and I just, once, once they see your American passports, you're usually pretty okay. And thankfully we made it the rest of the way of just fine. 
uh, you know, and then you going to Prague. Have you either of you either been to Prague? I went there in 2007. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. Right. So it's this really historic city and it was never bombed in the world wars. And so all of this like 13th and 14th century architecture and buildings and bridges and summit, there's a Jewish cemetery there. I think that's from like, it's at least a thousand years old. And so that there's that really cool historic part. And then there's the, then there's the, then there's the communist block part. And there's all of these big buildings that look like, you know, you would expect to see in Soviet Russia and, you know, like just sort of very basic architecture, very plain. And so it's this really weird juxtaposition when you're in Prague, you see this, the old part, and then you see the recent old part, which is no, which is kind of new. uh, And, it's a very international city, very cool. One of the things I remember too is that beer was cheaper than water wherever we yes. went. <laughs> Pivo, was, I still remember. It was still it was that Pivo. way when I was there. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, you, you know, you go to a restaurant and you'd have to order, you know, very, you know, learning, learning about the ways of the world. You know, as an American, I just expect a glass of water when I sit down at a restaurant, and that's not how it works anywhere no, else. It works in Europe, no. You know, and then you would order water and they would charge you for it and tap water and or something similar, I assume, Mm -hmm. you know, but you could order a beer and the beer was cheaper. And (laughs) it was a big glass of Pilsner Raquel, just like it was a massive glass. I, yeah, Prague is interesting. It's a good, like, so they play these three shows and they debut a bunch of songs, a bunch of songs that are kind of refined from Island Tour jams. And they come to Prague and they're there. And it's, you, you think about like 1998, we're only 10 years removed from the Berlin Wall coming down at that point in time. So the ability for like a band like this to tour that far east in Europe for people to cross the border where, you know, it's, you show an American passport and it's, you're welcomed there rather than like turned away. You don't want to go that far east. Um, it's a really interesting time period to be going there. It's, you know, the, the 90s were such a, opening of Europe, especially of Eastern Europe in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think about the juxtaposition you're talking about with regards to the architecture in Prague. And it always strikes me watching this show on YouTube because there's some footage of this show and it seems like such a small, at least from the outside, it looks like a small dingy club that is not expecting a band that's going to be playing for 80,000 people a month later. Um, and the band and the audience like feeds off of an energy that seems to like be this combination of what you're describing of being young, traveling overseas, being in a city that 10 years earlier, they would not have played in pretty much in any chance. And is all, they're also at like at the cusp of this kind of creative breakthrough that they're going through. It, It all like mixes together in such an incredible way. Well, and the venue itself, I don't know if you've ever looked at the pictures, right? Because the videos that I've seen don't really show the venue. And so you're in central Prague, you're in the center of Prague, and they tell you the address of the venue and there's no one has a cell phone and there's no internet. Like as you're traveling internationally, you actually have to make a plan and meet your friends when you say you're going to meet them and where. And you show up at the venue and it looks like this like brick building. And there's just a door and there doesn't look to be 
what you would expect when you're walking into a music venue. And then you walk into a lobby and you realize that the venue is actually, I think it was three, maybe four stories down from the ground level, right? So you're still kind of curious, like what's happening? Am I going to just end up in this club scenario? And then it opens up into this beautiful theater and like an old, beautiful theater. And there's a balcony around the top level and then there's a floor, there's a floor and the balcony, you know, goes all the way around. Mm. There's beautiful columns and like lots of gilded things. And you feel like you're in this very historic, beautiful place. that's just not at all visible, or you would have no idea from the ground level that this, this little beautiful place was stuck, you know, in the middle of Prague. It just was pretty extraordinary uh, to see. And the Barcelona venue also had a balcony, but was not nearly as, as, um, pretty, but the Prague venue, the Lucerna was, was beautiful. Beautiful. I'm a picture of it right now. I'm going to try to post this here because this looks nothing like what it looks right, like. Like, on, like the videos. Yeah, no, it doesn't look videos. like anything. It's a beautiful, like, you know, uh, of the, of the same kind of level as the theaters, the famous theaters in the States, you know, like um, I would say the beacon, if it had been upgraded in a while, but you know what I mean? Something like, like that, Uh, not quite the Met, but uh, you know, that kind of vibe, a beautiful old historic theater set in the middle of this former Eastern Bloc country down below Ground and the beer was still cheaper than the water at the show. <laughs> I remember that a lot. Clearly, Pivo Pivo was a highlight. But yeah, we spent the first night and we spent we spent the first night on that balcony, um, and then we spent the, then we we were on the floor for the second for night. the second night. Mm-hmm. Talk to us quickly about the first night because this one is slightly a overlooked i would say you know compared to to the second night um what were your thoughts on the first night any highlights that you had i mean there was a mcgrupp so for me that just wraps it all up you know um i remember the bathtub being pretty good birds was i know these songs weren't new they came out the year before but you know birds was still relatively new uh you know i had only seen it a handful of times live um you know, and there was a Reba, um, which is in my top five, always want to hear. So that's always great. And uh, there was quite an extraordinary jam out of the McGrupp is, is what I remember the most about that show, though. So I think, you know, it's the second night that everyone focuses on, right? Yeah. See, like, that's what it was. That's I'm having a hard time finding like, a big picture of it, but for is this no, this is what, right? we're, what we're looking at? Yeah, and you know, right? Like from the outside, it just looks like a, a brick building that's going to have you know a stage on it somewhere in the middle. But it's this beautiful old historic theater, just absolutely a couple beautiful. Other shots of it, yeah. yeah. It looks just the lighting here looks amazing. And again, if you if you look at the videos that they have of this. Uh, from this run, it looks absolutely nothing like this. It's incredible. Right. It doesn't look anything like that. Yeah. So that was kind of, you know, I was up somewhere in there, you know, on hanging over one of those balconies for the first night, uh, which was a pretty extraordinary viewpoint too. And it was intimate, of course. There were 
several hundred people doing the whole tour. And, you know, I didn't know all of them then. Um, and it's interesting because I see when we start to talk about this on Twitter, on the internet, people pop up and they say, I was there too. And I'm like, you were really, I didn't know you then. That's so strange. How do I not know you? Uh, but you know, I have some friends that live here in Vermont that I met on that tour and, um, and we're still friends and we've still been hanging out at the same time. One of the people that I traveled with for the whole tour, my friend Emmy lives in California. We're still friends. She was even more ballsy than me. She was only 18 when she, she flew wow. over to Europe to do it. And just, we had, you know, connected, you know, early ages of the internet and the funky bitches, right. That was you know, a big part of my late nineties fish experience. And she had reached out to me and said, Hey, are you're going to Europe? What are your travel plans? I really want to go. And I was like, I think we probably have room in the van. Do you want to come? And you know how it works. Uh, it usually works out. Low it ball, usually works. They can join. It, yeah. It usually works yeah. out. That's amazing. <clears throat> RJ, I'm curious from your perspective, you did not go over to this tour. We were talking earlier um, offline about summer 97. What were your perceptions as someone who has seen stateside fish, but knowing that they were going to Europe of missing these shows? Like, was there like, what, what was it like to just like know that they're going over overseas? They're going to experiment some more and in a way that you're not going to hear until four months later when the tapes come back. I mean, you know, it was really exciting when we got the Europe 97 tapes. It was pretty extraordinary. And of course, the show that there are a couple of shows that stick out for me in, in that from that year in Europe. But, you know, the the back of the worm show is the one that just still to this day blows my mind thinking about what could have possibly been happening. And then you learn years <laughs> later that um there was probably some early morning LSD involved in that day for Trey. And so, you know, that, that explains a lot, but, you know, I think there wasn't as much FOMO for me then, you know, the internet wasn't as everywhere. You didn't, you know, sort of read what everybody was going to do and everybody was going to this show and everybody was going to that show and there's where they're staying. And, and so there was less FOMO about it for me personally. Yeah. You know, know, compared to now, you know, now yeah. I'm like, oh, I didn't get to go to that show. I know. And, yeah, like pictures and yeah. I yeah. I have to say, so I went to you know, I went to the island tour and I was a, I was a, the end of my freshman year in college. So like the island tour I got to do, and then I went to Polaris in Columbus the summer of '98, mm-hmm. and then went to Virginia Beach and Star mm-hmm. Lake. Um, so like, yeah. I mean, I didn't know that the Virginia beach show was going to be like one of the, one of the best moments of my life, but um, musical life anyway. But um, yeah, I agree. I was like, just excited to be, to be able to to see shows. And I didn't really think about the Europe shows at all, actually. Um, but I do remember, I just want to mention this because it's sort of sticks in my head. The Polaris show from July 31st of mm-hmm. 98. I remember they had these, they had the screens up and maybe we were on the lawn. We must've been on the lawn. And I remember looking at the screen while Trey was soloing and Isabella. And I remember just being like, I can't, I cannot believe this person is like real. It's like, you know, several years into collecting tapes and seeing fish, but that was the moment. The the summer of 98 was, uh, was pretty outrageous, you know, from, from start to finish. It was. And I actually, I didn't do any stateside because I blew all of my cash and vacation time. On your (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I was living in, I was living in Colorado. I was living in Boulder then. And, you know, it was big haul for most of, uh, for most of the summer in the States and I had just gotten back. So I didn't go to the fest. I didn't, you know, do any of that stuff. And, but I remember, you know, when Virginia beach happened and then the next day, uh, you know, or, you know, probably on a listserv, probably on Andy Guy Deal's page, you know, looking at the set list and hearing about the Terrapin and just, I think that actually probably that summer was probably when the FOMO did start to show up for me, you know, knowing that these things were happening yeah. and, and having gotten a taste of being able to travel and pretty much do whatever I wanted as long as I could figure out how to afford it and get there. You know, that, that's when the FOMO really started to to start to kick in. Yeah, the Terrapin. Sorry to have missed it, you know. I mean, that's a huge moment that I think, even for someone like myself who didn't see them for five years, is like, couldn't you have just gotten, couldn't you have just gotten into this earlier and been around for, for when these, that, that type of stuff was happening? That, I mean, that summer tour is incredible um, because it it takes all these new songs and it takes this like, refined approach that they're taking to the experimentation from the previous year and then it adds cover songs that everybody knows and adds this like jukebox element and you know you have another festival in limestone at the end of the summer there's just so much that mixes into it i i absolutely love summer 98 and listening to these shows you get kind of a taste of 97 in the europe shows because (laughs) they're playing to you know, hundreds of fans who are following them, but like in reality, they're playing to new crowds in a lot of cases on a night to night basis, at least, you know, from my perception of it. And so they have this like energy of, we don't necessarily care. Like what your takeaway is of this, we're going to play what we want to play. Cause we're like, we're so far away from, you know, playing to the masses of our fans, but also this band that's continuing to evolve and develop on a show by show basis. It's a really wild combination well also i think you know when you take it out of out of the states and i think the the pressure was less then but as time went on right the pressure on the band to really you know come hard every night and you know part of that is you know you know people ragging on shows online and everything but to take that band which had evolved pretty dramatically in a two year period and to throw them in these smaller rooms where they really could experiment to your point and really just, you know, spread things out and have fun and be loose without all of the pressure of being in like a huge stateside arena with 25,000 people or, you know, 20,000 people that definitely was apparent as well. I mean, the band was pretty loose at the time. Um, you know, and, you know, by the time everybody got to Barcelona, it was really, really loose. <laughs> I, I mean, I was on the beach. I did not get a photo with my head cut off. No, thanks. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, uh, but, you know, you got to Barcelona after these Prague shows and we actually flew because it was such a, it was like a 22 hour train ride, I think, or drive. So we left the van and we flew to Barcelona and, um, you know, and you go to Barcelona, which is a Mediterranean country, very different than the other countries you've been to. It's very, we stayed, um, right on Las Ramblas and like a hostel, you know, overlooking Las Ramblas and there's all that Gaudi architecture there. And, um, you know, there's, you know, the beaches are all topless and women, you'd see women in their professional outfits on their lunch breaks 
bring their book and bring their lunch and go to the beach and, you know, just take off their shirt and sit on the beach and sun themselves for a little while and eat their little, you know, salad and then, you know, put their clothes back on and just go back to work. And (laughs) it felt very relaxed and very loose. Um, You know, there were a lot of cool things to see. That was the other real thing that was really great about this tour is that, you know, unlike now where I often don't really prioritize seeing things in the city I'm in, seeing fish, I mean, and no offense to Hartford or anybody that's listening to Hartford, but I'm going to Hartford this summer. I won't be like checking out Hartford, you know, like I'm, I'm going for the fish show. I, you know, I've been to Hartford, I've been to Hartford lots. So, but when you went to Europe, you know, part of it was age, right. I had a lot of energy, but we would get up and be out the door of wherever we were staying by like nine 30 or 10 in the morning and explore the city we were in and see all the tourist things and see all the sites that we could. And it was just like, fish was just the way to end the day. And it was you know the best way for me to end the day, but it, it provided an opportunity for all of us that were there to go see all of those things and do all of those things we might not otherwise have had a chance to do. Well, I like how they structure this tour, whereas the year before there were some two night runs uh, combined with some one night runs and they hit a lot of states or a lot of cities across um, basically four weeks of touring. This is way more condensed. This is basically Mm -hmm. 11. This is like two weeks of touring um, Mm -hmm. and they go to take out the festival. They go to three stops. So they really rest in those stops. So you're in Copenhagen and you're not just there for a night and then, all right, we got to get on a train. We got to get out of here that night. You actually get a chance to like really explore and really embrace the city. Um, that run ends on the second, you've got three days to get to Prague and you hit these two nights in Prague on the fifth Mm -hmm. and the sixth Mm -hmm. that ends. And you've got two nights to get to Barcelona at that point in time. And, you know, if you're traveling throughout the continent, my, anyone who's ever asked me how to travel Europe, I always say, if you, whatever, however many cities you have that you need to go to, like cut it in half. Yeah. Because I'll hear from so many people who are like, I'm going to do Amsterdam, then I'm going to go to Paris, and then I'm going to go to Barcelona, and then I'm going to go over to Milan, and I'm going to go. Like, how much time do you have? Well, I have two weeks. No, just go to no, like, no, no, no. region. Pick two cities. Yeah. Pick two cities. Like, yeah. you do not, you, you want to feel like you can live in these cities. That to me is like the joy of being over in Europe. And this tour is kind of that, where by the time you get to Barcelona, I've got to imagine you're tired from traveling. You're tired from seeing fish pretty much every night, but you're also like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like you're on a road trip for a short period in time. Yeah. I mean, you also this tour that bounces around. Right. And you also have downtime, you know, there's, you know, there's days off in between and, you know, especially the Prague to Barcelona leg, we condensed our travel by flying. And so we didn't have to spend a day on a train. And so you get there and you do get a little time to rest. And, you know, it's also really exciting. It's people are speaking different languages. What is the hotel or the hostel going to have for breakfast? Like, what is European breakfast like? Um, You know, let's go to the Picasso, let's go to the Picasso Museum today. That's, you know, and like, let's go see these churches today in Prague. Let's go to the Charles River Bridge and climb up some of the towers. And, you know, I think it was energizing. It was, again, I was 24, so I don't know what it would be like for me now. But, it sure. was, you know, it was, it, it never felt exhausting because we had the ability to go do all of these fantastic things every day. And particularly because I had never been to any of these places before. I'd never even been out of the country before. 
all of it was just a huge, huge thrill to be able to do. Let's talk a bit about that Prague show because um, it is, it is celebrating right now. It's 24th anniversary, which means that you, you at this age would have been going to this Prague show. This is Uh like very serendipitous. This show happens on a Monday. So they, they do a Sunday, Monday gig, and then Mm -hmm. they go to Barcelona for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before heading back to the States, Mm -hmm. which also blows me away because they get back to the States so they, they finish up on Friday the 10th, and mm-hmm. then they're playing Wednesday the 15th in Portland, Oregon. Portland, yeah. It's just – it's such a turnaround, and I can't even imagine. Like, as someone who's traveled internationally, like, it takes about a week to get back to whatever time zone you're in and, like, well, figure even, yourself out. Yeah, and even just – I'm sure that they had separate gear for the European gig, but there's certain things that – are going with them and even just making sure all of the gear got back in time and got to where it was supposed to be is it was a pretty tight timeline for like, basically they, they get to the West coast on the 15th and they don't get back East until I want to say like the 28th or the 29th that they get to the mm-hmm. Midwest. So like it's 12 days now on the West coast, kind of like bouncing around between yeah. the gorge and shoreline and, Phoenix, like you're drives. all over. Those are Those long, are long, long drives. drives in the middle of summer. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. The the seven six show. This opens with one of my favorite like opening quarters that you could ever have at a fish mm-hmm. show. Like buried alive, just mm-hmm. incredible. Great opener. Great opener. ACDC bag at a time when ACDC bag was known to jam, and it sounds like they're moving almost immediately into a jam before it goes into ghost. Ghost goes into this torrential tray solo before moving seamlessly into cities. Talk to me about that segment and what it was like in the venue. Well, I, I mean, it, you know, it was atypical for a first set, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, first sets are can be big and loose, but usually are not. But the band felt like they were really firing on all cylinders by that by that point. You know, they had played five shows, including the festival. The one I think it was one set at the fest. And it was just, like I said earlier, it was, everyone felt really loose at the time. And, uh, you know, by the time you get to the ghost, like the, the Buried Alive is always, I think, a really high energy, great opener and a good sign for a great show to come. Uh, you can't, I agree with you. You can't go wrong with Buried Alive to open the show. And, you know, bag is, you know, the bag is loose and it's funky uh, and it's, you know, it dissolves right into the ghost. And by the time the ghost peeks out, you know, by the time that sort of that nine minute mark when like Trey really starts to unleash in the ghost, I was I was listening to it earlier today and, you know, watch the video. And, you know, if you've never watched the video, I think you can't understand just how loose and in in it. Uh, the band was particularly yeah. Trey at that time, you know, and it, it's always good when Trey sticks his tongue out, um, <laughs> and, you know, and when the, when the man, you know, when Trey's tongue is like, when he's so proud of himself, he can't help but notice by doing that, then you're in good shape. But, you know, it was, uh, most people that were there for the shows were there for both nights. And I don't recall a ton of, Europeans being at those shows in particular, there were more Europeans at some of the other shows, but that could just be my perception as opposed to Americans. Mm. There were plenty of Americans who 
you know, were just in America for their study group summer or whatever it was they were doing. And, you know, they ended up at the show. Uh, We were on the floor that night, uh, probably back by the taper section or by the soundboard somewhere in that vicinity. And it just felt like that beautiful, beautiful room was just going to burst with energy. And, you know, you're a half an hour into the first set, uh, you know, and by the time the ghost finishes and it dissolves into the cities, which is feels fantastic uh, as you're traveling from European city to European city. We, we weren't in London, but, um, you know, it, it felt like the right call. And, uh, you know, so the first set's just extraordinary and that's, and that's the first set. And, uh, you know, the other highlight for me, I, I love Roguet. I think Roguet is one of the prettiest songs yeah. in Fish's repertoire and it was new, newish then. Um, it was pretty new. And, and second then, performance of all time. Yeah. Crazy. And, and so, you know, that was a really nice breather. There was a train song too, which was really nice mm-hmm. um, right before that, because most people were traveling by train all over Europe, you know, and if I remember correctly, they debuted that this year tour before the year before, I think, um, you know, so that had like a, a very nice uh, personal felt very personal uh, yeah. to the audience at the time. Um, but let us not forget about the maze. I know like, you know, the, the ghost is extraordinary, but the maze is also extraordinary. And Trey stops at the end and talks a little bit about how grateful he is. Everybody's there. And um, yeah. I, yeah. And that's, that's the first set. Just, oh, and that's the first set. There's a Golgi too. There's a Golgi. Yeah. Which they, it, it, in very late nineties fashion, they, they play part of it out of key and they, they're just like, they're too overwhelmed and too excited by the way that they're jamming that like Golgi is kind of forgotten in a sense, but it's got that energy towards the end. You know, two thoughts I had about this set. I, um, the, when I was in Europe for the first time, 10 years later for a study abroad program, um, it's right around the time YouTube came out and like, what did we do during our downtime? Everybody kind of shared like, these are my favorite bands. Let's go watch something on YouTube. And like everybody sure. talks about it. And I remember coming across, I was searching for fish and I hadn't really been listening to a ton of fish at that point in time, but I was like, let's, you know, find something that looks that that's a good way to showcase mm-hmm. who fish is. And I've come across, Oh, Prague ghost. And I, I hadn't heard oh. it at, at this point in time. And I was oh. like, this is probably good 15 minutes. Let's check this out. And so it's me and a bunch of people I'm starting abroad with. And like, nobody really cares about fish, but like, you know what you're talking about. The moment where Trey starts sticking his tongue out, he starts jumping up and down. He's like, it looks like you he's breaking every guitar string. Like, yeah, you can't not, you can't not be enveloped in it. It's uh, completely, it's, it's intoxicating. I'm falling back in love with the band all over again while like kind of like sweating and like getting chills everywhere. Just like being like freaking out listening to this. But then last night, the other thought I had, I was listening to the this show last night and I haven't listened to this show in, in a long, long time. Like I've, I've heard the highlights. We'll get into mm-hmm. it in the second set. I had totally forgotten about the maze and I've got it on. My wife and I are cleaning up the kitchen after dinner and like, we're both listening to it and, my wife at one point was just like, wow, this is really aggressive. Like this is so intense. And, and then out of nowhere they stop and Trey does the, we'd like to thank you all. Like they're all on a dime. And what does he stop at like nine 30 and then picks up again at 10 minutes. And it's just like perfectly they're right back in sync. It's just such a sign of where they were at. 
Yeah, and that actually is one of my favorite, like the fish tricks, right? Like the, the stopping. And I'm not a musician, so I don't even, I have no concept of how, how, to do hard, that. how yeah. hard that yeah. must be. Like, I imagine it's extraordinarily difficult right. to be just like dialing it in as hard as you can and to all be playing together really hard and then stop on a dime and then to chit chat a little bit, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of quietly. And then to just jump back into it as if you'd never stopped whenever, whenever that happens, I really enjoy it. Um, But yeah, that was, that was a pretty good maze. It was a great maze. Yeah. Even without the stop, it's like you Mm -hmm. said, it's a rock inversion, but then they add that. And it's just like, it's kind of them just flexing. Like we can do anything right now Mm -hmm. and you all know it. And those of you who don't, you're about to know, like you, you're going to see why people follow us to hundreds of shows. Mm -hmm. Um, Set two. You've got Julius, you got Meat, and then you've got this really phenomenal, like twenty-five minute long segment of the Piper, Piper and Supa. The Piper. I mean, everyone. I, and I know why. And everyone talks about the ghost, the ghost, the ghost, the mm-hmm. ghost. Don't get me wrong. Let's talk about the ghost. But the Piper is also extraordinary, and you know, it's still slow build Piper era. Right. Like you're not just, you don't get, right. You don't get like the two minute intro and then just, you know, wailing guitar. It's really, um, Trey, if you're listening, if you could bring back the slow build Piper, that would be like my only <laughs> request I would ever make of you because it's just such an extraordinary, extraordinary musical feat. I think, you know, to be playing that and to have it be building and building and building and to take it, um, in this really, um, smooth way from really slow to really just, you know, absolutely raging and frenetic playing uh, to do the Piper that way is, um, I will say one thing that I miss. Um, I'm right there with you. I think it's one of the things that this is one of those songs I would hear at every fish show and be happy, even if they mm-hmm, don't sure. do the slow build. Yeah, of course. But the slow build adds such a such a unique feature of the song ready because it's it's a song that essentially was written just for the purpose of seeing if they could take something from silence to rage and noise mm-hmm. and then back down again. Mm-hmm. And around 1998, I mean, you have some really good versions in 97. The Palace version, of course, is excellent. But like in 98, they figure out what do we, how do we take this song? Like how do, how do we add something to the song that is not just like ferocious energy? And so you mm-hmm. get like the Island tour version that jams off of the quiet part of the end. It's one of the creepiest, one of my favorite jams of all time. So great. But then you get this version that feels like the archetype for where the song would go going forward. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this, yeah. I'm looking it's like, at it. It's like I'm, a prelude. It's like a prelude to the, yeah. Yeah. It's like they figured something out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the notes on fish.net because this made the jam chart and um, they compare this to the, that rot like raging section of the Wolfman's brother from champagne 97 earlier where Mm -hmm. Trey just kind of like they're, they're jamming in space and Trey just hits a riff and the band's like, all right, we're off. And they just go. Mm -hmm. And this Piper's like that for like, 10 minutes yeah yeah it is it's like it's almost like a freight train right like it's like yeah. it's like it's like a freight train like buildings you know building speed and gaining speed and gaining speed and then once it's flying man i don't know that there's anything that can slow it down uh except for a which is always a welcome 
<laughs> always a welcome interjection out of his show for me too. Always, uh, you know, always. And it's a good like three minute segue into Makasupa, which I really mm-hmm. like. Like mm-hmm. the back end of Piper, once they kind of cool things down, they get into this groove jam, and then out of that, they find like, it's not like a direct. There's no recording. Right, jam or jam, and now let's go into here. It's, no. it's slow. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, you know, goes back to what we were talking about before about how being in these small audiences in Europe really allowed the band the freedom to explore themes like that, to just be loose and be able to play and not be so worried about what was happening off of the stage or or what anybody thought about it because they were just really locked in. And, you know, in a way it felt I mean, it was really intimate, right? I had seen Fish mostly in big outdoor venues. I have a couple smaller shows in the early days that I saw. I saw them at the Flynn in 97, which is tiny um, because I was living here in Burlington, Uh, you know, but, you know, uh, mostly, you know, I'd seen them at the Garden. I had seen them at, you know, uh, McNichols Arena in Denver. You know, I had seen them at SPAC. I had seen them in big places and, and, there's definitely an energy that I really love about those big rooms too. You know, I love Madison square garden more than any other indoor venue on the planet. And I, I love it. It's, it's, it's the best. Uh, but there is something really extraordinary about being in an intimate room like that and feeling like, you know, because you're in Europe too, it felt like the pressure was off a little bit and they could just be loose and they could just play and they could continue what had been happening in fall 97 and throughout the Island tour and it, you know, bled into Europe and it was almost the transition sort of to the next, as we were talking about earlier, the next phase of Fish's exploration of their own music. Yeah. That that's a really good point. Like that groove jam, it sounds like they're, it sounds like they're previewing what we're going to hear three weeks from now when they're playing in these amphitheaters across America. And it kind of sounds like they're, it has hints of the 97 funk, but it really is. It's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of softer around the edges. It's a little Mm -hmm. bit less aggressive. It's a little less angular. It's, it's more, how do we take this? And and this is where you start to hear like 1999 start to fuse in and like the Mm -hmm. millennial sound of, of, um, of of like big Cypress in 2000, where the goal is less funk and the goal is more minimalism and groove. And how do we utilize that as an opportunity for the band to fully connect around ideas and play as like one singular instrument. That's really what I hear towards the end of this Piper. Um, This Makasupa, I mean, it's for a band that is overseas playing in cities where they can we can legally consume marijuana and 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 you know that that's kind of just like a part of the culture in a in a way that 1998 america was just no not really ready to to embrace like i said you know we cried we went to amsterdam first we went to the gray area and a couple (laughs) other coffee shops and we were rolling around in that van you know crossing in the middle of the night with the machine gun guys at the check border and you know, it definitely, you know, I thought, God, if I'm never going to jail and never being heard from again, it's probably now, but it was fine because we had our American passports, but, you know, and, um, but yeah, it was very different than the, you know, the Maka Supa vibe was one, um, you know, there was a rebellion aspect to it. Like now, I mean, I think, you know, this is still the, the Ganja Gubal uh, mm. era, you know, in the States. Right. And, and, you know, 
bring back ganja goo balls too. A lot of people listening. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the perfectly dosed edibles from the dispensary are great, but there is something really lovely about taking not knowing out, what uh, you were getting, not knowing <laughs> what you're getting into, and you know, yeah. some you know nice person. Um, made something in their kitchen for you and they're using it to support themselves to get to the next show. I'm, I'm happy to buy it and take my chances, uh, <laughs> you know, or I mean, I did it a lot. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Makasupa at that point was, you know, a bit of a rebellious call, you know, for the folks that consumed cannabis at the time, it was not cool anywhere. I, no. I mean, it was cool and it was cool in Amsterdam, um, but it wasn't cool anywhere else, not in the States, probably, you know, of course, up in Humboldt and other places. Uh, but and it was when I lived in Colorado, then, you know, it was ubiquitous. It was everywhere, but it wasn't even remotely legal. And right. so, you know, Makasubo. You're, you're at like least a, little... a generation basically away from it becoming legal to the point where, like, mm -hmm. it's just it's not even like it's, it's not a big it's like no, no big deal anymore. Yeah, it was kind of one of those things where, like, if you talked about pre, I don't know, 2007, 2008 of this even being a reality, it wasn't something that – it was something you kind of get laughed at. Like, that'll never happen. It's never going to be legal in America. And now it's it, it's just weird to think about that juxtaposition of where America was in the late 90s, where you were at in England, and, you know, what you're coming back to, where Fish Tour is a circus that keeps going around America. But, like, it's these pockets of where – you kind of still have to hide from the mm -hmm. law if you want to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, outside of Northern California, Boulder and the mountains in Colorado and probably Vermont, you know, it was, you know, you were always worried about even talking about it with anybody right. else. You know, you definitely didn't talk about it with anybody at work. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, unless they were cool and uh, unless they also, you know, you knew that they were also, going to take time off to see fish. And so you needed to put your vacation time in first. <laughs> got to get before you. I got the tour dates first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the show ends with kind of three set closers slash encores in a row. Mm -hmm. you get David Bowie and yeah. Loving Cup to end set two and yeah. Possum in the mm -hmm. encore. Um, you know, it's funny because like Bowie – very different from what it was a year earlier it's very different from what it was three years earlier it's kind of a tamer aspect mm -hmm. of itself but like it still rips and it's still like once they drop into that jam out of like the song proper it still feels like anything can happen but i found like i found that to be my my last highlight of this this overall show of just like a great solid david bowie before we get loving cup where everyone is just like super happy and possum <laughs> which is just kind of like throw your hands up and boogie one more time before we have, a little, yeah, have, have a little hoedown yeah have a little have a little hoedown there in europe yeah i mean you get maze and 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 bowie in the same show uh, <laughs> that's a good point yeah that's a wild you thing. know you get maze and bowie in the same show so when it starts to drop into bowie you know that it's bowie because unless they're going back in a maze from the first set um <laughs> You know, but I really I love a possum closer. I love a possum encore. It's such a yeah. high energy, uh, it's such a high energy song. And um, you know, I really like that kind of that the little teeny little twang of of country that pops up in fish or, or you know, it's, it's less country and more sort of Americana, I guess. It's chugal. It's chugal. Chugal. 
Yeah, it's it's like it's like uh, credence. It's it's fish like right. in right. a bar, exactly. like stomping around, but it's yeah. not totally country. It's got that groove. No, to it. it has a groove to it, but it is. It's, there's like an Americana element to yes. it. You know, that's it's not really country, but it's it's Americana music. And I mean, Possum's always felt to me like the same way Destiny Unbound that like with different lyrics, it's potentially a dead song. Oh yeah, it's for, got that for vibe. sure. For sure. And um, while we're talking about possum, I will also say that I am surprised that our new friend Billy Strings does not cover possum because I feel like that's like the most, you know, I feel like that is the most Billy Strings of all of the fish covers he could do. Um, he did so, get back on the train with Trey, but I agree with he you. Possum, he could, he could rage that. I mean, it really is in that. That's what I mean about sort of that Americana vibe. Yeah. Um, it suits him, you know, in the same way a lot of the dead songs have that Americana vibe. Totally. And, you know, um, but yeah, it was a great end to the evening. And, you know, we, I'm sure, wandered around late night and just, you know, had our free for all time in Prague, wandering around the city. You know, it was, uh, The 90s felt, and maybe, you know, maybe this is just my own, you know, romanticizing of it, but it felt a lot safer to just wander around then. Um, I mean, Europe feels a lot safer in some ways than parts of America anyway, and Prague felt totally safe. And, you know, we wandered around and, and, you know, hung out late night and then somehow made it back to wherever we were staying, some hostel probably with... I don't know, a dozen other people in the room. I can't remember. I know that we I had my own hotel room in, in Barcelona. The rest of it, not so much. Um, well, who had their own hotel room when they were 24? I mean, <laughs> sleep on us, you know? We were talking about this. Yeah. Right, like we were talking about this recently because summer tour was coming up and um, we're going to Bethel. And of course, anybody that's going to Bethel knows that lodging is really a challenge in Bethel. And so your options are pretty limited unless you've got an Airbnb crew and uh, we're going to rage the days in, um, in Liberty, which is the closest hotel. And it is, we stay there for Dead and company too. It is clean, but um, pretty wookie. And, and I checked in with a friend of ours that's staying with us and, and said, is this okay? And she said, oh, we used to sleep like 12 people in a super eight in Indiana. I'm sure it's fine. Um <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it'll be fine for two nights. But yeah, so in Prague, we wandered back to wherever we were staying and uh, and caught a flight to Spain. Like I felt so sophisticated, you know, at the ripe age of 24, just bopping around Europe to see this band. And, you know, like I said, there were a couple, at least a couple hundred people that were doing it. I have three good friends, four good friends still that I'm still very good friends with that did the tour. And one of whom I knew beforehand, one of whom I met at the Island Run, actually, and was surprised to see them in Europe. And uh, and then two folks that I'm still friends with now that live here in Vermont that I met there, too. So, and lots of other folks that I know were there. Um, so, and it definitely felt very cool. I think about whether, you know, fish could go back to Europe now, what that would be like um, if fish were to play Europe again. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm sure it would be great, but I don't know. I think they'd have to play like huge venues now. I think they there'd be a lot of demand. Yeah. I wonder like, you know, there's a cap on the Mexico runs and, you know, so much of it is tied to mm-hmm. uh, staying in the hotel. So much of it is tied to the cost 
uh, factor, to be totally right. honest. Like there's a lot yep. of fans that just can't go to Mexico for, for whatever reasons or, expensive. you know, from a budgeting standpoint, they budget other shows versus yep. going to Mexico and kind of like what you did with this European run back in 98. I, I kind of feel like they could do it. Just because I don't think they're going to get the local draw for big arenas, but I do think you're going to have probably more people following them who are not getting into every show, and that could yeah. become problematic. There'd be there'd be a lot of hangers on that like get there mm-hmm. and don't have anywhere to go. Like at least you had a place to go each night where you're going right. to the show. You're not just right. traveling around Europe following this band's following type of thing you're going to those shows and that aspect i think could become challenging for them from a just a logistical standpoint but you know it is wild to me to think about like the first time i went to europe i was 22 so just a little bit younger than you were Mm -hmm. when you went and that sense of like you get out of a bar and it's 11 12 o'clock at night it's still dimly lit outside and you're just kind of wandering and you just have this perception that everything's okay and you don't totally know and and that the fact that like nothing happens and and you're still you know you're in a good space you're with good people like that's just a really exciting Mm -hmm. thing and such an opportunity to have at at that age to see the world learn so much see so much with your own eyes experience so much have that feeling of like that sense that you're growing up but then also on top of that, you're seeing raging videos on a nightly right. basis. You're combining right. all these things. Right. Like you're having this like life altering experience. I mean, for me too, I, when I got to Europe, I realized how embarrassing it was to be an American pretty quickly. Totally. Um, Americans were really obvious. And, you know, um, you know, I grew up in a, you know, pretty typical small rural American town, you know, uh, I didn't, I hadn't had the opportunity to travel very much. Uh, I had been, I moved, I had moved myself to Colorado, but mostly my mm-hmm. life had existed in the Northeast. And so, you know, one of the other things that was funny is the world cup was happening uh, while we were there. And, oh, yeah. and I think, I think it must've been the quarterfinals and Scotland made this quarterfinals. And because my hair's red, people assumed I was Scottish and were uh, congratulating me, you know, all like every time you went anywhere, the games were on. You know, right? Like soccer is just football everything. is just everything, everything in Europe, and so it was really. I felt really proud that I didn't look American enough that people just assumed I was American right away. They assumed I was Scottish until I started talking. You know, I sound very American, and <laughs> I mean, I do. Um, I but you know, I'm right there with you. You know, but it was really uh, that was very eye opening as well to understand that. Wow, like we are a unique group of people with a lot of great things about us and a lot of not great things about us too. And, um, but very distinct, it was very easy to spot the other Americans and in Europe, like without, you know, white sneakers and fanny packs mostly because it was the late nineties. You know, I don't know if it would be the same, (laughs) you know, white sneakers and fanny packs. It was really easy to see the other Americans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I get you. You're you, from Iowa, yeah. You know, so, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was, um, you know, it was eye-opening in that way. It was eye-opening to hear people, um, to to have to learn some basic language skills. You know, people yeah. mostly spoke English, but, 
I do try whenever I do travel internationally, even back then to at least learn, please, thank you, hello and goodbye in whatever language. Um, and clearly I remember Pivo from Czech as well, beer. Uh, but, you know, it was, you know, so that was a learning experience. We didn't have cell phones. You had to look at like a, you know, you had to go to the train station and look at the schedule. If you're going to take the train, you had to know, you had to have the address and the directions to the place you were going and maybe it was in Spanish, maybe it was in Czech, um, maybe it was in Danish, you know, and you had to figure you it out. You kind of figure it out. Figuring out like currency. Like I had no experience up until then dealing with anything but American money, exchanging money, um, understanding, you know, how to, you know, how to do the quick calculations in your head about whether something was expensive or not. Um, because, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what that was uh, like. And, you know, there were less credit cards. So it was a lot more cash. And so you were really, you know. Having to figure out what that exchange rate is, well, how, to, how to do it. I right. mean, I, I remember thinking about that because that sort of just like base level of how do you survive in this society? And like, it, you know, mm-hmm. currency is a huge way to think about it. I, w- I remember thinking, walking around one day in Europe about, um the people who are Europeans who live in whatever country I'm in at this point in time, who are never going to travel to America, just the same way as there's a lot of Americans who are never going to travel to Europe. And we travel to Europe thinking like, you know, there's so much history, there's so much uh, culture to embrace. And there's a lot of people just living their everyday lives. And when you're going to the market, when you're buying things, you, you really get that sense of, of, Mm -hmm. of being, it being a normal thing. And I think that's one of the, it's one of the cool things about fish playing, tours there is it forces you as a traveler to interact in ways that you wouldn't if you were just traveling it forces you to like live on a schedule and think about where's my hotel in conjunction to the venue and pay for things that you wouldn't necessarily pay for if you were just traveling over there and kind of just traveling for the purpose of traveling so Mm -hmm. it adds another element to it all yeah. I mean, for me, you know, it really opened, it did open up the ability to track, to feel like I could travel, to be able to do that. And I'm not yeah. sure, um, just based on where my life trajectory was, if it wasn't for fish, mm. if I would not have taken that opportunity to see more of the world, because fish gave me this avenue to do it that felt safe and felt purposeful. Like, you know, I had traveled in the States to see fish. I, I knew how to you know, find a group of people to travel with and share expenses with and, and, you know, rooms and and tickets and all of that. And so it gave me that framework uh, to, you know, to go out and do more exploring. And uh, I went back to Europe a couple of years later. I'm trying to, I can't remember the exact summer I went Um, and not for fish, obviously. And, you, you know, it was such a great for me, a great introduction into international travel. And I know some people would be like, why would you go to Europe and spend all of that time seeing and money, seeing that band you always see? Well, that band was what I did at night. And that band gave me the opportunity, you know, if I had planned a European trip, I I don't think I would have gone to Copenhagen. Maybe I would have gone to Prague. I probably wouldn't have gotten to Barcelona. And, you know, when I went back, I have, I'm yet to go to sort of the British Isles, but when I went back, I did, you know, Paris, Berlin, you know, sort of that section of Central Europe there. And I'm pretty sure that's what I would have done had I not had a a fish schedule to follow, you know. And it made me feel really confident. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. I just went and saw fish in Europe. (laughs) You know, I didn't. 
you know, I, I can do anything now. <laughs> you know, it's very wise, very wise at 24, you know, very wise. I, um, not so wise in a lot of ways, but when I do look back and I think, wow, you had good instincts. Um, you made a lot of mistakes along the way, like everyone does, but you had some good instincts and you were able to take adventures and feel motivated to take adventures because of this band. So I'm grateful for the experience, you know. Um, it was a once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity, for sure. It sure was. It yeah. sure was. Jen, this has been awesome talking with you about Oh, it's awesome Fish, to talk to you, Brian. This is, yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for coming on today. We've got to... Uh, We've got to have you on to recap some of your shows this upcoming summer. You said you're doing Bar uh, Bethel and I'm Hartford. Doing, yep, Great Woods, Bethel, and Hartford. And also I'll be at all four nights of Dick's. So maybe I can give you a hug in person if you're up That would that. be amazing. Yes. Yeah. I, will, I am out here in Denver. I will be at Dick's. Um, yep. I was going to be coming back for Bethel and Hartford, but I had to put those plans on hold um, trying to get that to happens. Alpine. That's my – that's as close oh, to a hometown fish venue as I have. And I've been uh -huh. there seven years at this point in time. So got to make mm -hmm. a trip back there, but um, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, sharing yeah, your you thoughts, your experience. Um, I had so much fun hearing firsthand what it was like being there. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. It's always nice to chat with you and yeah, always happy to talk about fish whenever you want. <laughs> awesome. We're going to, we're going to do this. We will, uh, we'll schedule you on. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Right, Thanks Jen. so much for having me. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk yeah. to you soon. You too. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. All right. That was so awesome. Jen is so great to have on. Um, thank you all for hanging with us here. Uh, we did back-to-back -back episodes this week, which was great and good uh, test as we get ready for summer tour that is coming up in just eight days. It's incredible. So um, we'll be back on Monday. July 11th. We have an excellent guest. Alex May will be joining us to talk through summer 1992, 30 years on. Alex saw a number of fish shows uh, that summer, um, and he uniquely saw a Santana show. Uh, he saw a horde show and he saw a standard fish show, two set fish. show. So we're going to get a ton of perspective from him, uh, in terms of what it was like to be on tour with fish in summer of 92. This will pick up from our series that we were doing throughout the spring, analyzing March, April, and May, uh, 1992 fish. And then we'll wrap that up in the fall when we talk about the fall tour 30 years on. But that is Monday. We're talking Summer 92 Fish with Alex May. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, next Wednesday, we've got a really cool episode. The guys from uh, Wook Plus are going to join us. We're going to go through our Summer 2022 wish list. And then from there, everything is Summer 2022 Fish. Every show up until basically the end of the summer is going to be uh, Summer 2022 Fish. So very excited to get into that. Um, before we leave you, I want to tell you, about our sponsors. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee owned hemp farm located just outside of Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm that produced milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2019, they diversified and they started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship. 
They use sustainable and regenerative farming techniques to build and protect healthy soils. They are 100% pesticide free. They use minimal tillage and implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont's agronomist to study hemp and inform best industry practices. I love Sunset Lake. I utilize them all the time. Um, I'm going to a concert tonight. I'm going to be utilizing them at the concert because they're great. It mellows you out, keeps you focused, keeps you there, but it keeps you really mellow in a nice way. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned and Vermont-grown. And with that, I'll leave you all until Monday. Have a great weekend. Talk with you all soon. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.